Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Welcome back in, everybody, to the early line on SportsGrid, continuing to give you the edge Kevin and I right back here for hour number two. And we turn our attention to the NFL, Kev. You know, we've been focused on the baseball negotiations, the basketball negotiations. But honestly, the clock is ticking for the NFL as well to start to figure out some of these issues that have really proven to be incredibly complex across other sports. And it seems like... You know, the first thing that happened in Major League Baseball or the NBA was like that kind of meeting of the minds, right? And it sounds like that is starting to happen in the NFL. Goodell is going to meet with the owners and committees, everything from what the 2020 logistics need to look like, what the safety protocols will be, and also how they're going to formally respond to the kind of social justice aspects that have been out here, right? Are there going to be any sponsored programs or requirements around the anthem or anything like that? But it seems like they're meeting sort of late this week now to figure out and begin that conversation. But as we know, that conversation has a lot of twists and turns. Yeah, 100%. I think we're also... You know, one of the things we didn't really kind of get to with the with some of the baseball stuff is that some of these teams are figuring out what they can do about fans. Like the, and they yes. might govern themselves when it comes to fans. And the reason I bring that up is when it comes to football, they need the fans in for, for the way that their their financials work, right? Like it matters so much, I feel like, for football. If if that's not gonna be there. They, it feels like there's a lot of things that then have to get figured out, I think. And I also think that they are in the most difficult position of any of the leagues when it comes to figuring out what to do with fans, right? If you're going yeah. bubble approach, simple enough. If you're baseball, you're kind of making a decision in three weeks' time, and you're seeing how that goes. You've you've already negotiated what you're paying. We figured that all out. If yeah. there's fans, it's a cherry on top. Wouldn't surprise me. Owners win again. For football, there's got to be some agreement kind of made. I don't know when it has to be made. And we just do not know what's going to happen with COVID yeah. come November. Some Absolutely. people believe that there isn't going to be a second wave. Some people believe we're not out of the first wave. The way things have gone, it almost feels like the state-by-state situations are going to be completely all over the place. Well, Kev, you know, the federal government has punted on this. Okay, they they've they literally, if you remember months ago, it was like, hey, states, go figure it out. Go get your own PPE. Go bid against each other to try and secure contracts for ventilators, right? So if you think about it, you know the term the United States of America? Well, that's sort of up for grabs now as literally, Kev, we talked about it, right? The tri-state area is trying to come up with their own regulations. States are fending for themselves And, Kev, we have already received word. Remember, like, the governor of Texas was, like, 25%. The governor of New Jersey said, we think this. But now we're, you know, kind of blocking ourselves off from nine other states here in the tri-state area. There are reports already, Kev. I saw a piece out of The Athletic, which is saying that NFL teams and states, like you're saying, are going to be allowed to kind of go their own way and set their own capacity limits. So we could see no fans in a couple of states, a quarter of fans at another state, 50% capacity at another state based on those local or state official officials and what they want to do in their jurisdictions based on the curve and the data around COVID. Yeah, and if all of a sudden the Giants and the Jets have fans, but the Bucks and the, and Dolphins, the Dolphins don't, don't? like that's... 
that's not like an easy fix. It's, and then it's also compounded. And then there's also the personal decision, right? Like you may be okay or your wife may be okay with you going to New York, but may not feel so great about Arizona or Texas or Florida right yeah. now. And, and again, we don't know where we're going to be in September. Fair. But apparently when the Dolphins play the Jets, they better hope they have a bye week before. I think they actually might. That's the one. They, Remember they played you know, twice. They, Few weeks right. with the it's kind of it's kind of funny that they do, but like, in order to come back in, right? Apparently, quarantine. there's going to be a quarantine. It's not going to matter, right? Like, there, there are. It's 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 At wild how this is their own now. way. Yeah, but the whole time you were saying, what a benefit this is for the NFL that they get to wait and see, and I couldn't have agreed more at the time. It everything had been working out so well for them. Like, right. they managed to turn the NFL draft not into, like, oh, okay, it worked out fine. A, people were like, hey, should this be the format? I think I like Roger Goodell. The ratings were through the roof. Like, yeah. the, they hit a grand slam with the draft. They were able to figure out free agency. We, you know, we didn't spend a lot of time saying, wow, it's crazy. Todd Gurley hasn't passed the physical. And those situations like that, he ended up passing the physical. And he's now a member of the Everything had right. worked out for them. And now we look at it, and it it does feel as if, you know what, it was working out for them because it just, it wasn't season right. yet. But now the walls are closing in. And they were relying, and you know, I always use the term, Kev, following the blueprint, right, that was established. The problem, I don't think, was the NFL. The problem was these other leagues couldn't figure out the damn blueprint in all the time they had. And so now the NFL has nothing to follow. They have to also be sort of out in front figuring it out on their own because no sport has figured it out yet. One of the I, things they did determine, though, was that the Hall of Fame game yeah. is not going to go off as scheduled. Remember, that's like early August, usually of the very beginning. There's going to be no Hall of Fame ceremony. You ain't bringing all these people together in a huge old crowd to celebrate the incoming class. And so that means the Hall of Fame game is not going to happen either. But that signals, right? We're starting to get into that calendar when the NFL has to make decisions and there's no blueprint yet to be followed. Let's just put it like this, right? I've seen people laugh off the idea of COVID impacting the NFL season. Those people now are officially wrong, okay? They are now officially wrong. This is a change that is now being made in order to push the time frame I back. This Hall of Fame game will not be happening. It is a no-brainer if there's not going to be a Hall of Fame ceremony. Okay. You, like, there's not going to be fans. It's an extra week of the preseason. It's a no-brainer, but... COVID has now impacted the NFL undeniably. And that to me is important. The other thing though, is it is a bit of a reminder that like the NFL, the lack of joint practices already meant that first. No, 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 no. there's a lot of things that already meant that I'm just talking about for people <laughs> that have been in denial this whole time. Okay. The thing is, right. I think one of the things we're realizing that game was supposed to be on August 6th NBA will have been operating for only a week. Major League Baseball for only two weeks. Yep. You know, again, like, we thought, like, oh, the other leagues could get back the maybe MLS quicker. The will be almost done, though. Right. The problem is, though, that, again, that we've identified basketball, MLS, those just aren't things they can learn from. Maybe from testing protocols, right, right is something that they can take from them. But in turn, the it's this bubble versus non-bubble. Well, baseball is going to travel. Baseball is going to travel so they right. can see, like, if that's tenable or not. They'll have two weeks of seeing teams travel from state to state with different COVID data in those states. So that's maybe something they can learn from in the two weeks of baseball. And I would say this to you. I think it is almost a guarantee. It's already been talked about that we are only going to get a two-week NFL preseason. I think that that, to me, is somewhat of a guarantee. The question becomes, what do these training camps look like if COVID comes through? And how, like, I think maybe more than we originally thought, remember it's baked in, I think the NFL season not starting on time is feeling more and more realistic because a part of this being, it is baked in. 
they have that flexibility. Yeah. When they arranged the schedule, they purposely did things like having uh, shared bye weeks, even talking to Tampa where the Super Bowl is going to be to look at the date three weeks previous. I mean, three weeks later, you know, the idea of them knowing they can hack off the preseason games. They have those contingency plans, or at least we believe they do. But, you know, I think the biggest thesis for me, at least, Kev, is I always thought they'd be able to follow a blueprint. There ain't no blueprint out there that anybody really can kind of co-sign on. And I think you're right. The idea of the bubble approach and the traveling approach are going to be two ways in which professional sports or team sports kind of diverge. And we're testing it right now, right? There's benefits of the bubble approach, right? Maybe it's safer from the health side. But then you're isolating people for months at a time. And then what happens if it comes into the bubble? And then there's the travel plan more of Major League Baseball or the NFL, which may have more personal freedom involved, but then you have to go to places that may in fact be spiking. And as we see, there are now 30 states in the United States of America that have increasing COVID rates just when it was supposed to fade away because of the summertime. The thing is, you can use, you know, you Look at New York. Yeah. It was the Works. hot Look at bed. the European Union, Kev. Like, it, it was the... It, but, like, the thing is, for people, sometimes all that works for them is the United States. Like, I know. We saw people digging mass graves in Italy weeks like, before they, it was bad here in New York. Like, the thing... And that's the thing. It's like, but people are so just decentifies, whatever it might be, they want to turn away from it, right? You. you can't ignore what is in your own backyard. That's right. New York was the hotbed. Right. And in three months' time, it is now maybe the safest place in the country. To the point where the Mets and Yankees are coming to New York, where New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut want to block out others, right? I hear you, the not-in-my-own-backyard kind of theory. Well, now it's coming to a different part of America. I'll leave it at that. Do a lot of maps, okay, including the Electoral College, and overlay them over the states that are spiking right now, and it's going to be a very interesting fall. Hopefully, though, when we do play, Big Ben Roethlisberger is someone who is under center for the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? And it looks like, you know, Mike Tomlin came out and says, listen, we saw his Instagram video. He is comfortable with Big Ben's progression, okay? My question for you, though, is still the same. It's been all these other teams that have veteran quarterbacks have addressed their backup need over the last couple of years. The Steelers still have not effectively done so, You trust Big Ben? You think they need to go in the market for a guy like Cam? Or even, you know, the Rooney rule and family was supposed to be so sensitive to African-Americans. Where's Kaepernick on the phone? Um, Do you still think Ben is going to be ready to go and be his old self for the Pittsburgh Steelers? We have to take a break. I'm going to ask you that. Think about this on the other side of the break. Should the Steelers continue to shove all in with Big Ben? Or should they really be planning for the future? And how would they do that? I'll ask you that. Some other topics around AFC teams. And then we look at the AFC bracket that we did when we come back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in here on the early line, giving you the edge on SportsGrid. Kev, I was asking you about Big Ben. Now, like, Tomlin is, you know, comfortable with his rehab. Comfortable is an interesting word to me. It doesn't, you know, it's not like excited. It's not happy. <laughs> you know, it's comfortable. I'm okay with where he has. We saw him on social media. You know, all, all, you know, signs are pointing that he will be ready to go for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Obviously, he moves the needle. He is, however, 38 years old, Kev. And, you know, if you talked about you as a millennial and me as the generation about, let me tell you, when you're 38 years old or better, it ain't like it used to be, right? So I don't know if he's going to be able to recover. So let me ask it to you in this way. If you are comfortable with the rehab, I looked and, you know, Big Ben is actually the favorite, Kev, to win the NFL comeback player of the year. He is that at plus 250. He is the favorite. Gronk then at three to one. J.J. Watt, Cam Newton, A.J. Green and others. 
do you expect Big Ben to be Big Ben? Because if he is, he's a lock to win this Comeback Player of the Year award. Yeah, so I am keeping myself, I guess, optimistic on what Big Ben is going to be able to provide for this team. Okay. Um, he did play the season before a full 16. The season before that, he played 15 games. Now, you know, obviously, as the years go on, you're yeah. going to be taking more. But he did just play only, you know, two games. And I don't even know if he played a full second Sometimes game. these old quarterbacks fall off a cliff quick, though. Eli Manning, Peyton Manning's arm strength quick. And I guess the question is, even if Big Ben plays 16, what does that look like? Like, if, if I quickly just pull up what his last 16-game season provided, it was pretty good stuff. Damn right. Four touchdowns to 16 interceptions. He had Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell there too, though, right? Yes, he certainly did. And that can be part of, like, an expected drop-off. He had, you know, 7.6 yards per throw, throw for over 5,000 yards. I think he might have led the league in yards in 2018. I mean, where we're talking about, Certainly somewhere in the range of a top 10 quarterback, probably, in 2018. Now, the one thing that oddly has me optimistic about this team is that they had the worst offense in football last year, meaning that Big Ben doesn't even need to be a top 10 quarterback. Right. There's a lot of room to grow. Top half of the league is a big step for them. I will say, and I'm curious how you feel about this, do you think that last year in – you know, Mason Rudolph's lone season right. of starting football and Devlin Hodges' lone season of starting football is enough for the Steelers to say neither one of these guys are the guy. We should be looking for better backup. Or both of these guys have now starting experience under their belt. And if the worst case happens, we'll turn with them with a level of confidence considering we were 8-8 eight and eight last year. For me, it's the former. I think they already know the answer that Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges are not that guy. I think they have to, whether Big Ben can muster it up and be a reasonable facsimile of himself this year is kind of, for me, a moot point. They need to enter the succession planning because Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges are not that guy. Like, they, in my opinion, they should have pulled the move the Saints did with a guy like Jameis Winston, okay? And I think that would have been the more prudent idea. Now, there will be some of these guys out there, as we know, but I do think the Steelers need to address this situation, and I think it's hard to, you know, guarantee that Big Ben will be Big Ben because it happens quick for quarterbacks in their late 30s, although I believe that a normal Big Ben should be enough to push the Steelers right back into being a legitimate playoff contender. If you remember, this is a team that had like a top five defense last year and continues to, you know, start to improve and ascend on that side of the ball. Well, as a old veteran quarterback in the AFC North has talked about the cycle continues to turn with a new potential stud quarterback in the AFC North. I'm talking about the number one overall draft pick, Joe Burrow. And, you know, these are the kinds of things you're supposed to be hearing about your rookies at this point in time. The coaching staff is, like, impressed with his ability to digest, make decisions, read defenses, okay? Bengals offensive coordinator uh, Callahan is coming out and saying, He's impressed with Burrow and especially his kind of grasp of the offense. Both of them, ironically, are coaches' sons, right? So maybe that helps. But, uh, you know, what do you think? You think Joe Burrow just hits the ground running? Because I've always been a little skeptical of Joe Burrow and his LSU dominance translating to the next level. I'm excited about it. I I think he might be pretty good. Really? He was really, really good at LSU. He's walking into a situation now here where there's a lot of weapons, I, I feel, on the table for him. Um, A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins. Top yeah. half of the league, right, I would say receiving core. Maybe it pushes top 10, depending so on mix how in one of, uh, one of the 11 bell cows in the league that we've established. Yeah, like one of the top 10 backs probably in the league. Also one of the more underrated, and it and it's it should be underrated, but I guess we don't talk about it a lot. Jonah Williams is basically the, another first-round pick for this team who they took in the first round at the 11th overall pick in yeah. the, you know, the year prior's draft, yeah. but he didn't play an entire season. Now, defensively, I think there are some woes. 
I don't know what to make of Zach Taylor after one year of coaching, you know, head coaching experience, but there's weaponry there. There's talent there on his end. To me, there's a reason why, honestly, I don't see much of an argument for someone other than Burrow winning rookie of the year. I think it's a hard, honestly, I think it's a hard argument to make. And I think if you're making it, a jumping off point has to be lack of belief in what Joe Burrow brings as a talent. I think that's fair. Listen, Joe Burrow is the favorite for the Rookie of the Year, the Offensive Rookie of the Year at plus 220. I mentioned previously Big Ben is plus 250 to win Comeback Player of the Year as the favorite. I've said it to you before. My pick, and a lot of this is because of value and where he is on the board as opposed to the 220 for Burrow, my pick continues to be running back Jonathan Taylor. I think he's on a team that will have a good offense. I think he'll be a piece of the pie. We talked about the RBB3, and I think, listen, I believe the Colts will wind up 10 and 6. The Bengals will wind up, you know, 4 and 12 or something like that. And that'll be a big part of it. Yeah. Do you think that matters, the record? For me, there's no way that Jonathan Taylor being on a 10 and 6 team will matter over Burrow being on a 4 and 12 team, personally, because that team will not be 10 and 6 as a Jonathan Taylor. If Marlon Mack was the starting running back on his own, I've not added a win or detracted a win. From Jonathan Taylor being there. But if Jonathan Taylor runs for 1,100 yards and they're a playoff team, yeah, that's going to be a big time feather in his cap over Joe Burrow, who, you know, he may have a good year, but some of those stats may be because of garbage time and and, and low low leverage innings, as it were. And you're right. You know, you said, does it matter to me? And I say, yes, I don't know if it matters in the mind of every individual voter. And it's something that has always been kind of an essential question with things like an MVP kind of award, if you can do that on a bad team. And I think that debate has been going on for years, right? Um, but at the same time, Kev, I'm getting someone at 10 to 1 instead of like 2 to 1. And that's another part of why that would be my pick. Yeah, and I just think the difference and the reason why I'm is if Burrow wins the award and Taylor finishes second, you got great value. Only one guy won an actual award. And I think the the thing is, the MVP thing you bring up, right, is actually really, really, it's difficult to tell with this conversation here. Is this a quarterback award, rookie of the year? I don't know. It depends, you know, who your rookies are. I just think the thing that Burrow has going for him versus – Arguably, every other top guy on the board is he's the only clear-cut first-choice option. I mean, Herbert and Tua are literally dogs to be their opening starters. I don't know if Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to be RB1 on the depth chart. I don't know if Jonathan Taylor is going to be RB1 on the depth chart. Same for DeAndre Swift. Jared Judy's not wide receiver one. CeeDee Lamb's wide receiver three. Like, that's... My boy Denzel Mims at 20-1 to looks better and better. (laughs) I hear you. Here's just for context. Over the last few years, let me give you the rookies of the year because it has not been a quarterback dominant award. Okay. Which I think is actually interesting. You have had some quarterbacks, but it's not like this vast majority. Okay. Let me give you even just like the last decade. Okay. So Kyler Murray won it last year. Yeah, there's a quarterback. But then Saquon before that, RB. Alvin Kamara before that. Okay. So two running backs to one quarterback. Then Dak making it 2 2. Then Gurley, three running backs. Before that, Odell Beckham, four non quarterbacks to two quarterbacks. Before that in 2013, remember this name? Eddie Lacy was the rookie of the year. Before that, you had three quarterbacks in a row, RG3, Cam Newton, and Sam Bradford. So it is kind of 50-50. Been before that, guys like Percy Harvin, Adrian Peterson, Cadillac Williams, Anquan Bolden, Clinton Portis. So the 50-50 in terms of a quarterback or a non-quarterback. Yeah, and I guess then it depends how much the quarterback can come in and be good right away. And I Do think you also think Burrow will be better than Kyler Murray was in a rookie I would, year. I'd say my expectation is for him to be as good as Kyler Murray was last year. I also just think like there's nobody walking in unless there's an injury to a Saquon workload 
or an Odell Beckham workload. And that's one of the big reasons that like, because the thing is, I'm not going out on a limb taking a favorite here, but that's why I'm somewhat arguing that I think the gap, I think that you could argue that Burrow could be closer to even money because all of these other draft picks, regardless of talent, have somebody in front of them. And I don't know, but it feels very unique in that way. I don't ever remember seeing this many rookies, with, even like with talent, and you go, yeah, but what about Carrion Johnson? And you, what about right. Portland Sutton? What about Ryan yeah. Fitzpatrick? And that goes back to my RBB3 theory, right? Because in, in previous years, right, Wherever DeAndre Swift landed, he would have been a contender, right? But he's in a committee. Wherever Jonathan Taylor landed, he would have been a contender, but he's in a committee. I would go so far as to say the same damn thing about a guy like J.K. Dobbins if he landed. But these guys are now landing in committees. So I think it's evidence to your point about where a clear path is viable anymore for the running back position, and it is different. We talk about the implied odds also, right? And if you think it's a 50-50 proposition, then he should be at plus 100. He is not. He's at plus 220, so that could, in fact, represent value. When we come back, we've got one other update to a story that I hate talking about, and if you follow this show or this network and you know why, and then we look at the AFC playoff picture. Remember, we went game by game with all these teams. We're going to tell you how the dust settled and what are some valuable bets. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Watching Sports Grid. Get on the grid. Welcome back in, everybody, to the early line here on Sports Grid. Kevin and I, and Kev, here comes the NFL story that I don't want to talk about because I believe my guy, Jamal Adams, is one of the best defensive players in the entire league. I want him to be a cornerstone part of the solution over the course of the next few years, as I fully believe the Jets could have the arrow pointing in the right direction and ascending in this division as Tom Brady's career sunsets down in Tampa. But this Jamal Adams issue has been back and forth. And now, you know, Jamal Adams is kind of shoved all in saying he wants a trade. We talk about the teams he's listed that he won't even have to sign an extension to get out of New York to go to some places. There's been more reporting on this, Kev, in the last day or so. And I want to hit two pieces of this. The first is that reporters out there, beat reporters are saying that, in fact, Adam Gaze and his relationship with Adam Gaze, and I just, I guess the word I would use is disrespect for Adam Gaze is a big part of why Adams wants out of New York. And then, at least Manish Mehta, who writes for the Post and covers the Jets, says he kind of doubled down on it and says Adams is not alone among players in that Jets locker room who do not like, you know, kind of the culture instituted by Adam Gaze, saying that the players don't respect the head coach in New York. This is not the kind of news I want to hear as a Jets fan, Kev. So here's the thing with Adam Gaze. There's this saying of when people show you who they are, believe Believe the first time, right? So these issues of Gase and players not getting along is not unique to him being in New York. The same thing happened in Miami. Now, people will argue to you that the players maybe need to respect the coach more. This is not some league-wide issue of no players are being respected by coaches. This is now an Adam Gase issue, issue. And people will tell you that he was his reputation of being a good or bad coach has maybe taken some unfair knocks. But then being able to finish out the season strong, seven and nine, what was he supposed to do with, you know, Sam Darnold missing the time that he missed? And the defense took hits with CJ Mosley's injuries. Like, give Adam Gase some time. And I think that those people saying that. It's totally fair. And I think Adam Gase has a good relationship with Joe Douglas. 
But unfortunately yeah. for the Jets, I think he has to go. Unfortunately, it is not sustainable to have a head coach that can't get along with any star players because he's also has reported beef with Le'Veon Bell. Right. Those are the two most talented players on the team. That's not workable. And you need to figure something out. You're never going to be able to get over the hill if every time you get a player, Adam Gase goes, too talented, problem, beef. I want out. You're not out. I want gone. I want him gone. You're not gone. It doesn't work. Yeah, no, I hear you. And listen, our guy Joe Ranieri, who's really plugged into the Miami scene and is a Jets fan himself, told me this as soon as the Adam Gaze hire happened, okay? That there are a number of media members and members around the Miami Dolphins who knew this already about Gaze. You know, he is a very intelligent man. And sometimes it's hard to connect with people like that when they think they're the smartest guy in the room. They have that kind of aloof, better-than-you style, you know. I've been told that about myself sometimes, too. But, hey, I digress, right? And maybe he's better as a coordinator than as a head coach. You know, has the offense take steps? Do I think Sam Darnold can still learn under Adam Gaze? Yes. But it could be an untenable situation. And, you know, where there's smoke, there is fire. I think you make a good point. The idea of Lev Bell, the idea of Jamal Adams, these high-end players. And it happened in Miami as well. Remember Devontae Parker was, like, put in mothballs under Adam Gaze, and then he certainly broke out right after that has happened. I want to have another wrinkle to this one, though. And I take you back to Cleveland, Kev. When, when Hugh Jackson was going 0-16, right? But then all of a sudden, he got fired. And you remember who the interim coach was before Freddie Kitchens came on? It was Greg Williams. And the locker room loved it. And they were winning a couple of games. They were performing well. Greg Williams, you know, bounties notwithstanding, is definitely kind of on the side of as a player's coach. I think that's fair to say. It's always been the case, his time coaching in the NFL and Greg Williams has had a microphone put in front of his face recently. And I think his, some of his comments are very interesting, Kev. Um, he, in essence, is backing his player. You know, in essence, he's saying, listen, I don't get into that contract stuff. That's the business stuff. All I know is that I love Jamal. I think the world of him. I can't wait to coach him. You know, like, he's the man. He needs to be part of this team in essence, lobbying for the organization to give the man what he wants. You would think that Greg Williams would kind of be on the brain trust, the coach, the owner, the front office side, but he's like, nah, I want my player to get whatever he can get. I want to coach him again. So I ask you two questions on this, Kev. One, do you like the way Greg Williams is backing his guy? And two, do you think there's any ulterior motives behind it for Greg Williams? And you know there is. Here's the thing. Unfortunately, right, the candid reaction to when we first saw this news, you and I were here on our call together with, with the, uh, our producer, Martino. Yeah. Very excited I was because it's hilarious. It's wrestling-esque. He's going for a heel turn, right? He's turning <laughs> on his partner. They're or a face turn, be, in fact. Yeah, maybe it's a face turn. Yeah, but yeah. Babyface, actually. You're right. Babyface Greg Williams. But, like, it, you know, it's like he's a heel, but he's justified. Whatever it is. Listen. He's about to get a chair shot clean over Adam Gase's head, man. Like, he's coming for the job. He knows what he's doing. It's not a mistake, okay? Because he did the same thing, and it was effective in Cleveland. It just didn't get him the full-time job because offense is more valuable than defense, and they thought that right. Freddie was going to be able to still be a head coach and not – I mean, I don't know what happened to Freddie Kitchens. Uh, but Greg Williams is going to try the same thing. And I will now tell you this. I am – 100% out on this team achieving anything this season. Really? The idea of them being a sleeper, surprising the AFC East. I cannot deal with the star players hating the head coach, the defensive coordinator wanting to take over the head coach, the defense hating the offense. Like all of this stuff to me, it plus an impossible schedule. I don't see how they overcome this. I don't see how they work their way through this. I think we're set up for an in-season fire and Greg Williams getting another spin 
as the interim head coach, but then probably being moved on from as well. And regardless of the results, because his player management is important, right? Like part of why Phil Jackson's been praised is his ability to handle Dennis Rodman, okay? If you just can't get along with anybody that's even remotely talented, you gotta go. You gotta go. So let me ask you this, okay? Because, you know, it's it's very close to my heart here, okay? This is like me telling you Doug Peterson has to get fired, you know? Um, But what about this? Here's my devil's advocate for you. It's June, Kevin. We hear stories... We hear stories every year of multiple teams of players that are having contract disputes. Some of them seem uglier than others. Some of them are more public than others. But I would say 80, 90% of the time, what winds up happening in September is that the player just swallows it, deals with it, and plays out the season because they still have to put good stuff on tape, right? Like Jamal Adams, like... He's still under contract with the Jets. The Jets could not trade him, and then he would have to actually hold out or actually report and still put high-end performance that warrants the kind of contract he wants on tape over a 16-game season. So what about my pushback or devil's advocate to you that this is just the kind of stuff that happens every June, and I'm not going to go so far as to mean say that, oh, my goodness, the coach is going to get fired because of this, has lost the locker room. What about the fact that this is just a little bit over-sensationalized because we ain't got nothing else to talk about in June? Do you think it's over-sensationalized? I think it's possible. I think it's so, possible. Julio, right, every offseason – Julio, by the way, is one of my absolute favorite players for doing okay. this. Every offseason goes, hey – there's a new wide receiver making more money than me. Right. Unacceptable. Give me more. He never says, oh, it's because I hate Dan Quinn. Never, right? And the Adam Gay stuff, right? Smoke, there's fire. Like, eat, like let's just pretend it was but a made-up report. Adam said this, or did the beat reporter say this? But the thing is, the reason why the beat reporter, right, we're going to side with on this one is because we've heard this about Adam Gase through various points yeah. of his career. And the Greg Williams situation, we've literally watched play out in his previous location. So to me, no, it's not been over-sensationalized. And the question becomes, what's the best-case scenario? I kind of am still at this point where I don't really know if Jamal shows up without getting the contract extension. And if he then is given that contract extension, I anticipate Adam Gase resenting him for however long he's there. But that's probably your best-case scenario. Then you go on to them trading Jamal Adams, and Greg Williams' disdain for Adam Gase multiplies because now his most valuable player is no longer there. And after every game that the defense plays poorly, Greg Williams will say, boy, I wish Wish I had had Jamal Jamal Adams. Adams. (laughs) That's not good. Or Jamal holds out. And Greg Williams the whole time will be saying, just pay Jamal Adams. That also is going to piss off Joe Douglas. I mean, I guess the best case scenario is fairy dust. That means Jamal Adams goes, ah, I was kidding. I'm back. Well, I don't think it's fairy dust, but because he does not have the best leverage in the situation with multiple years still left, I think the best case scenario is that he understands that they're at an impasse. He plays out the season, right? He's got he reports and is just an active member of the Jets this year. Right. And the Jets do take a step forward. Right. And then Jamal Adams thinks, wait, I can win here. And they extend him next year. Or the idea that all this blows up with gays, whatever, and there is a new head coach next year, but that Jamal Adams then has an extension in green and white. I do think there's a best case where Jamal Adams plays for the Jets this year because he doesn't have a ton of leverage. You got to accept that, right? He could hold out the question of will he really take it that far? There has been some precedent, but maybe not at that safety position. Remember, Earl Thomas came back uh, after a couple of games. But we'll continue to talk about this. How will this play out? Who has the leverage and what does it all mean? We'll keep talking about it right here on the early line. Come on right back after these messages. 
SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, to the early line here on SportsGrid. Kevin and I now looking at this Jamel, uh, excuse me, Jamal Adam saga, right? Back and forth. He's wanted the trade. He wants respect is what he really wants. And what's ironic is that it seems like it's Adam Gaze losing the respect of many here in the kind of Jets organization. And it's weird to me that Greg Williams is even, you know, backing his player. We know Greg Williams has been an interim coach before. We know he's kind of a player's guy. I don't know, Kev. What do you think? I say the best case scenario is that Jamal Adams, you know, makes his point, ultimately reports, which we've seen many players do, um, and he plays well because he's Jamal Adams, right? And then they figure it out in about 11 months from now when maybe Adam Gaze is not the coach, when it's more viable to talk extension when you don't have a year left on your deal. Mm-hmm. I kind of believe the kick the can down the road is an option and maybe the best for Jets fans. Yeah, so... And the thing is, right, I've always found the idea of bias funny, right? The thing is, everything you're saying is very realistic. And I know in myself, it's not a bias. I just have this tendency to buy players' holdouts more than others. It's just a personal thing where I feel like, because, oh, it makes sense. I see it. They're voicing their issues. How do you come back from this? This is awkward. I just feel like... Game checks, Kev. That makes it hard. Right. No. Right. Yeah. Like there's certain things that mean that they have to come back. I'm just I'm just saying, like, there's a lot of reasons that I feel like I have to believe them. The Jamal situation to me and each situation is unique. But this one specifically, when he is on Twitter speaking in the past tense about the time he shared with teammates in New York feels extreme. He's been so vocal about it. The list of teams he's willing to go to is a perfect one for the Jets to be able to get maximum value. The fact that he won't require the contract extension is a positive for the Jets. It's a positive because now in those trade talks, hey, listen, I'm not going to be able to give you as much because I'm going to have to pay Jamal. No, you're not. You can't use that as a leverage point. Chiefs, Ravens, Eagles, Cowboys can't use that. All of these things for me on this Jamal situation point towards an exit. Yes, the fact that he has this year, then a, then there's the player option, right. then a franchise, then a franchise tag, potential, yeah. then a second franchise tag. I mean, we just listed out Three, four, four years. Yes. seasons of control the Jets could have. 100% like that's not lost on me. I also think something uh, when I view these things is if I were the Jets and I, my thing is, Dane, why not pay him now? No, I agree. Wait a second. I I said that. I said that I believe that for this franchise, remember, you have to make exceptions. I understand what smart team building normally looks like. And I also understand that you need to have that kind of, you know, uh, exception to the rule. And I fundamentally, personally, believe that Jamal Adams, as one of the two best safeties in football, a a born leader, and the idea that he could be the franchise leader for this team makes him an exception to the rule for me. That's a different question altogether, okay? I believe that. I just think, like, yes, it looks like he is trying to get out of town, but a lot of times when players do this, they're unsuccessful. Yeah, that's true. And I'll and I'll make this analogy, right? So people would say, look, you got to be smart when you want to. You can't always bend to players, this, that, and the third. The analogy I would make to you is that if I were the New York Knicks, right now I'd be very willing to bring Chris Paul in, of course price dependent on how – but if the Thunder were willing to move on from him, right, because there's been rumors linking that. Sure. And despite Chris Paul's age, this is the head of the Players Association – with ties to the top players in the league. Right, right, right. That's the type of acquisition that can turn around the narrative, and then they can actually start to bring in premier guys. That's how I view Jamal. 
I agree with you. Jamal Adams is the only Jet, like, at the weekend at the Pro Bowl that's, you know, chumming it up with other elite players in the NFL. Absolutely, Kev. I get that. Let me... You're a betting man. Sure. What are the... What would you hang as the odds? In the book of Kevin, if we had a prop bet, Jamal... Like, you know, there's week one starters bets. Jamal Adams will be on the Jets' active roster for their week one game against the Buffalo Bills. Where's the minus money? Yes or no? Now, I so I fully understand, right? That means he's going to play in the game or he's just not been... No, that means he's on the roster. Okay. Whether he's holding out or nothing, he's still a Jet at that point in time. Now, Is he a Jet come early September? I'm going to base this answer on how we've seen the odds usually played for this. Because usually the team they're currently on will keep that favorite status. Minus 200, maybe he's a Jet? Yes, on the yes side. On the yes side. Just because... You're putting it kind of like 66% yes, 33% no. That's what two to one would be. Right. And again, and that is a... Because there's always this edge that the team that already has him has, right? Like that you're he's already a member of your yeah. roster. There's a there's a there you yeah. need another you need a he dance partner. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like so yeah, maybe around that, I guess I think maybe is, is is where I would price it. And even as I'm saying that, like if I were the book, I'd be worried about Jets fans being willing Liability. to come hit my two hundred. So you think it's like 70, 30, 60, 40 that he remains a member of the Jets. Is that about correct? Based on odds. Like I I don't know right, where so to get the odds. What do you say? 80-20? If I had to do it right now, I feel like I'm 50-50. Really? I just there's so much there to suggest that he should go. To me. Like, yeah, I just think part of it, remember I asked you the sensationalism of it. I think some of that is involved. Um, but it's I, not sensationalized like when people see him driving through Dallas and they go, you come in and he goes, I'm working right. on it. Like, <laughs> right. That's a real thing. When he's so you have it as 50-50? I think so. Like Jam- The thing is, if, if the only reports were he doesn't like Adam Gase, right? right. Or there's circulation that he might want out. Jamal Adams has, other than putting on, like, you know how, like, they do, like, the, the high schools, right? They do their college selections. Other than him sitting at a table with putting a Bucks, Eagles, Ravens, like, Cowboys hat thing on, right. like, he's, he's confirmed all Would of it. Would you agree to a gentleman's bet where I say he's a Jet, you say he's not? And there's no odds at play. It's an even-up bet. You say it's 50-50. I'll take the yes side if you want to make a gentleman's bet. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm all about a gentleman's bet. I think that's yeah. how you continue to, to build uh, camaraderie among among sure. We have it. Call it a gentleman's bet. I think Jamal Adams will still be technically a member of the Jets three months from now. Call it on Labor Day. Mm-hmm. Kevin is not so sure and is willing to take the other side. This is certainly a story that we will continue to monitor. You know, Kev, when we think about like the changing narrative, I keep on saying the evolution will be the revolution will be televised. And a big part of this is like players taking control of their narrative, right? Players leveraging social media, players taking a stand, players feeling more and more comfortable to speak up if something is not right. We talked about Kylan Hill. We've talked about Chubba Hubbard. We've talked also about the idea of, is it right for the NBA to take all the health records of players, right? And that's been a thing. And I want to bring up former Eagles, former Oregon Ducks coach, Chip Kelly. Now, when he was in Oregon, I know you know this, when he was in Philly, he did things like monitor the diets of people, their sleep habits, right? You know, pumping in crowd noise. He was very uh, scientific about it all, shall we say. And part of it is trying to maximize the health. Well, the players at his new school, UCLA, are not really excited about this. To the point, Kevin, where, you know, this trust or lack of trust seems to be there. There's a report out, Kev, that the UCLA players, in fact, want an independent medical official at all team activities because they don't trust Chip to be some, like, rub some dirt on it, you'll be okay. You know, um, 
I think this is interesting. We've seen this in the past in other teams. I know about like uh, unionized professionals um, worried about other biometrics that teams are gathering on them. You know, soccer, uh, Kevin, in the soccer world, they wear those things to monitor, you know, their heart levels and how much distance they've run and all that stuff. Even the San Francisco Giants, I don't know if you know about this, they've been monitoring acidity levels of players' urine for years, Kevin, for years it has been going on. Well, these players at UCLA, they're not so happy about it. They don't trust it with Chip Kelly now, the quarterback came out and sort of backed him up. But what do you make of this? Uh, you saw this when he was with the Eagles. He was measuring diets and sleep habits and stuff. This is not new for Chip. Yeah. Chip Kelly should have still had a job in the NFL as an offense coordinator. I stand by that. Um, as an Okay. Yes. I think he should have, should have had one of those jobs. Like, the whole Niners situation was ridiculous, but it worked out for them. They got Kyle and John Lynch, and it's all been fine. I just had to say my piece on that. Yeah. Um, Listen, I, saw, I got family in Oregon. I was a big Ducks guy, so it's all good. I got no I got no beef with Chip. My thing with Chip Kelly here is I don't know if this – I mean, it's a Chip Kelly story, right? Yeah. It seems like it's a university story. We had the quarterback, uh, Dorian. with Chip. Right. I, I think – I think you know, and he, but I'm saying is the, the quarterback, DTR, came out and was like, if this isn't about Chip, you're over-exact, right. over-sensationalizing okay. it. Like, we're trying to make sure that we are as safe as possible. The reason why I think that this is an introduction into a broader question with college football is maybe no programs in all of sports will be more entrenched in their ways than college football. You have guys that have been at the helm for decades, right? Guys that are the, I mean, they always talk about it, right? Nobody makes more money in South Carolina than Dabo, nobody, the richest man in Bama. Right, right, right. The head football like, coach of the state university. Yeah, so it's the they're the most employee. powerful people in the state. Yeah, all the way back to Joe that, Paterno and Bear Bryant. Right. And, like, we're seeing that, like, states right now are handling these things. So, like, the most powerful man in the state is the man who's making decisions about college football. Like, you <laughs> see how wonky that can get. And I think there's something to be said about, again, players feeling more empowered, feeling like their voices matter more and I think it's fair to say that if their feet aren't pressed to the fire in terms of these college football programs, they would look for ways around yeah. some of this COVID uh, stuff. Because, again, you and I have talked about this expectation that boosters and financials oh, as yeah. a whole are going to try and push them for oh, a yeah. big time. Oh, absolutely. Just like in 2008, how there were some banks that were too big to fail. Like, college football is on many people's minds too big to fail from the financial implications, but also the cultural normalcy aspects of it. But I do think you're right. It fits into this broader narrative here of players taking control, advocating for themselves, and leveraging the power of social media to do so. Well, we talked about going into our AFC predictions. We didn't get a chance to do that. We will pick that up tomorrow as we go into our weekend kind of edition. We got a lot of content to still cover. And Kevin, I expect next week to be huge. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.